Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Adulting Wild Black. This is Katrina. I'm Tish. And I'm Sam. And today we are going to be talking about school to prison pipeline. So some of you may not know like what school to prison pipeline really means. In general, it's basically uh, a national trend where students are funneled in a way out of the public school system into the criminal justice system. Um, Anybody else want to kind of like Yeah. Um, I think also to add to what Sam is saying, like the school to prison pipeline system is like, yeah, they're funneled in through a variety of different ways. Students who are uh, consecutive, like they're constantly suspended. Um, They're more likely to end up in the criminal justice system other than a student. So students of color are, are, are suspended a lot at a lot higher rate than their other counterparts, their white counterparts or their non-black counterparts or non-colored counterparts. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, so let's start ladies um, discussing like the implications of what the system means um, for society in general and then we can also kind of like discuss how we see that it affects disproportionately, of course, um, black and brown students. Right. Well, there's a lot of different, like student discipline is based on perspective. A lot of the times Uh, it's very, it's like I said, it's very subjective. It's a very subjective topic. What will let one teacher give a student or send a student for suspension, another teacher might not, right? So it's very subjective. It's how you feel, how you feel that day. But discipline should be a thing where it is a case-to-case basis and not necessarily a cookie-cutter model. Like, if a kid does this, then this is what happens. Or if a kid does that, like, what we have to look at the whole child and not necessarily just that one incident. Yeah, so I'm glad you talked about the whole child because there are things that can be done before you even have to get to the disciplinary action. So if we're doing what we're supposed to do beforehand, if we're building relationships and we're connecting with those students and not only those students, but with their families as well, discipline wouldn't even be a huge factor anymore. And so I think that's where, you know, it starts from way above that a lot of us we need to get back into those homes or those families and figure out what we can do to make sure that those families and those students are successful in the best way that we can we all know that students have different um, experiences different stories and different backgrounds and if we don't honor that and try to um, help them push through that then we're going to see the same cycle over and over that these students these same students are going to get disciplined and then that's it, which is going to lead to a future that is not good for any of us, for them, for their families, or for us either. Agreed. Right. I mean, I also think <clears throat> that the, the way we see that discipline happens in a lot of schools, it's like this very like zero tolerance. And I think that just that doesn't mesh well when you're catering to children. It's like 
children are going to make mistakes. Yeah. Um, they don't know everything. They don't know a lot of things. And so school is a place for them to learn, right? They're, they're there to learn how to appropriately socialize with each other, how to appropriately socialize with adults. And within that space, they're going to make mistakes. And sometimes we just, I feel like we just need to grant them some grace to make those mistakes. Obviously we're going to correct them, but like at the same time, we, we also need to understand that that's the, that's what happens when you're a child, you're going to make errors, you're going to make mistakes. And it's a place for you to learn from your mistakes, not a place where you do this one thing and that's the end of it for you. Right. And I think a lot of the times, and I'm glad you said that you do this one thing and it's a zero tolerance policy and most schools adapt that zero tolerance policy. However, I feel like for um, students of color, that zero tolerance policy is, it's, it's, it's a done deal. There is no going around it. There's no bridge. There's no leeway. There's no wiggle room for them. In other parts, in other parts of the country, in other school districts, um, they get wiggle room. They get a slap on the wrist. They play pranks, right? Because yeah. kids play pranks. And they toilet paper the whole school. And what happens? They get a talk. Parents get called and it's done. If that happens in certain neighborhoods, that's a suspension. Kids get frustrated because they're suspended. They're out of school multiple days. Now they're not getting an education. Now they are behind. So it's a domino effect. When they come back to school to us, they're frustrated, right? Now you're asking them to do something that they don't have the means to do. Therefore, the frustration then leads to what? Aggression. And that aggression then leads to behaviors that, yes, needs to be corrected. But if you look at the whole child and the picture that is being shown, we can deal with it in a different way. It doesn't have to be zero tolerance, you know? That's just my thoughts. Yeah, um, yeah so I completely agree with that. And I think a part of the, the larger issue with that is just that, so since you picked, you, you brought up the issue of race and how it's different for black and brown kids than it is for white kids, like I think that's exactly the problem is that this nation has been created it's been built on racism right and so um racism has kind of like created this this idea that like black and brown people and black and brown kids are just like generally like criminal so everything that they do is seen through this like lens of like criminality and if that's not addressed then this is why we're seeing the, the, like, the criminalization of like young kids. You're talking about like kids as early as like students in pre-K being <laughs> from school. Like, trust me, I am the parent of a three-year-old. I know that they can push boundaries and they can go there. But at the same time, being the parent of a three-year-old, I can't think of anything that they could do that could warrant a child that's three years old being suspended from school. Like there has to be a better way to like manage misbehavior from, from students. But I feel like there's no need or there's no interest from the powers that be to appropriately manage these behaviors because these things are being done by kids that are black and brown. And because of this ideology that black and brown people and their kids are just criminal. Like I or think- violent. Or violent, just naturally violent, right? And this—it's sad. 
and disrespectful. It's very sad. It's very sad because when you think about like, what can warrant you to suspend a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old? They have no idea. Like we already know that even in timeout, these self-help parent books tell us that, oh, you're going to give timeout based on the age of that child. So if that child is three, I'm going to give that child three minutes. If that child is four, I'm going to give that child four minutes, right? Based on their age. It's a minute per age, right? If you want to add an extra minute, you know, some parents want to add that extra minute. That's fine. But after that time, how does a three-year-old comprehend I did something bad and now I'm not in school because I did something bad? And then what does that teach that child? Every time I do something bad, because some kids might be the opposite. Some kids might be, okay, I'm going to do something bad because now I don't have to go to school. I already hate school anyway. So now you're creating a pattern that they didn't have before and you just triggered a pattern and a trajectory for that child by not, like Katrina said, just building a relationship. Hi, how are you? How's your bird? How's your cat? Very simplistic things because kids don't need a lot. Adults are the one we fuss about how we're going to say things. They just need you to ask, did you eat ice cream yesterday? That's it. And that's a whole conversation. What kind of ice cream do you like? Right? So it's very interesting that you would suspend it. I don't, I just don't understand how that happens. But in other, like I said, other parts of the country, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that way. It only happens in low income populations of students of low income parents. Yeah. Right. Or no low income neighborhoods. Yeah. And I think it's. And Again? Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. We Trina. can hear you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was also thinking about like, okay, so you know, we have people who are so quick to discipline our kids. But what's funny is, you know, every school in the city, almost every school has some kind of principal, assistant principal, and dean for disciplinary action, right? But where are the therapists? Where are the therapists in the school? So we don't have anybody to help these children with their emotions. And we know for a fact, just because they're children doesn't mean that they don't go through stuff. They, mm -hmm. they, a lot of these kids go through more than we could ever imagine. But they take the therapist out. And so then they try to replace them with counselors. You're, a guidance counselor is not a therapist. They have not been trained in that field. They do not know how to get take those layers off of, of emotions and dig deep and have these kids try to express themselves, express their feelings. We need therapists back in the school. We need them back in the school. That needs to be a main priority for things that we can do to try to, to try to decrease this whole craziness. We need therapists back in the school. We can't shortcut that. We can't expect people who are not trained and who have not gone through years of, of schooling and experience to, to help these kids through these situations. Because they're not doing it at home. They're not doing it at home. And if they are getting services, a lot of those times outside services are not, it's not enough for them. A lot of times they can only meet with those kids once. Half an hour. In, in, in every two weeks, three weeks. It's not, even, right. it's not even consistent. It's not because a lot of times those kids don't have anybody to take them. Or there's, there's a whole bunch of different issues. But if we don't bring therapy back into the schools, we are not going to, to rectify the situation as well. It's not going to happen. But I, I agree. agree. 
I also think that um, what you're saying, a part of that is like it's intentional in a way. Mm. We see that the prison system in America has been completely privatized, right? So it's 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 completely turned from a way to deter criminals from committing crimes. Mm-hmm. Like this economic tool for to make money for rich people or a rich person. Um, and so the idea is if it's for profit, then obviously it's how do we get more bodies into this inside system? the prisons? So two, I feel like two things are happening. The, the system is going to create more ways to create criminals. So we're going to criminalize more things. Like in the news, I see like a lot of like homeless people being arrested a lot of people with mental issues being arrested. Those are not things that should land you in, in jail, but it is. And then I think that the other side to that is we're starting to see more of this like criminal criminalization and this, this idea of criminal criminality being pushed down further and further to like younger and younger, younger kids. So it's, think of, it's how do we get more bodies? We're going to make more things criminal and we're going to start criminalizing people at a very young age. Yeah. But if, as soon as you spoke about that, it just triggered something like the criminalization of marijuana in New York city. Mm-hmm. I remember not too long ago, I think they made it like you can walk with what they would call like a dime bag, a very small amount of marijuana. Um, that is for personal use. You're not selling, you're not reselling. Uh, that was a crime, right? So there are many, 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 many men of color stuck behind bars for marijuana, correct? Mm-hmm. Now it's a thing. Now the government has all of a sudden monetized uh, tax and put taxes on marijuana. Now they have dispensaries. Now they have trucks. That Why is it not criminal for other people why are people still in jail, right? For something that is no longer a crime, right? right? So, and a lot of these kids, if you think about it, like this is the age of experimentation. This is where we start to experiment. So a lot of teenagers, a lot of people start going to jail in their teen years. And once you go in your teens, it's gonna be repetitive, right? Because you're gonna do an action. Now you can't get a job. You can't get a job. You're going to go back to that same thing that you were doing before. And then what happens? You go to jail again, and then you come back out. There is no reform. There is no, let's um, rehabilitate this human being and teach them that maybe you don't need marijuana. Maybe you could do something else when you're feeling overwhelmed. Right, exactly. You just said it because a lot of these children, they take it. like They can't internalize like we can um, to an extent. So they're taking it, yes, some of them want to experiment because their friends are doing it, so they want to do it too, but a lot of them are self-medicating. A lot of them are self-medicating, and all they know is, listen, I got a whole lot going on over here, and when I take this, I feel a lot calmer and things, and I can get by through the rest of the day, right? So if we're not, like you said, if we're not, if we're not helping these kids and as they become adults, helping them into the real world and helping them with all of this that's going on, we ain't getting nowhere. We ain't getting anywhere. It's like the, in, the entire system has to be demolished, you know, and built back from the scratch. But 
we already know that because there's money, right? Blood ties, money tied into this entire thing. It's not going to be an easy thing to do, right. you know? At the end of the day, we're looking at children. I see, and I went to college with upper class and all kinds of different things. And when I was in college, I experienced something I never experienced in what you would call the inner city, a pill party. Mm. I was in shock. There were no cops. There were, they were partying, drinking. We were 18 years old, beer, um, kegs of beer, pills, people just bringing random pills, throwing it into a, 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 a basin or a bowl. And people, where were the police there? Crazy. But if there's even a slight like smell or a party anywhere, like we get criminalized for doing the same things that other people are doing. Like it doesn't really make any type of sense to me. Yeah. Right. We push them from schools and we push these kids into prisons and then we expect them to come out and perform in society when you've been locked up for four years with no rehabilitation. How are they supposed to function? Right. They've missed out on four years of school. They've missed out on four years of socializing with other human beings in an authentic way. So what happens now? So I'm sure a lot of parents and people who work in the uh, educational school system are listening. So I'm sure they're wondering like, what can we do? So what are some things that we can do to, to stop this? or to decrease it, what can we do? Right, the first, I think that one of the first things that you can do is advocate for your child. Advocacy is a hell of a thing. Your kid is under age. If your child is under the age of 18, your child is not at an age that they could make any type of decisions for themselves. Yeah. A lot of the times we leave that up to kids, they turn 14 and 15 and all of a sudden, we start treating them like adults. Yes, they're young adults, but they're children. As a parent, right, you have to advocate for your child. It doesn't matter if they look like a grown woman or a grown man. Mentally, they're still kids. So if there's a suspension that comes up, don't miss that hearing. If they are calling you, tell you that your kid's being put out of school, you need to whatever, by any means necessary, if you're going to miss $20, or $100 or $200, miss that money and be there for your kid because it's gonna cost you more in the long run. Yeah. yeah. Advocacy, advocate for your kid. I think that is rule number one. Yeah. I agree with Tish. Um, and like just also thinking in terms of like the, from the perspective of the school, like I think, I think schools need to also be very conscious of the way in which this, what we're talking about affects like black and brown kids like we've been seeing. Um, because even just the way that schools look in terms of appearance mm. means a lot, right? It's like you, like I remember going to high school and I had to go through like a metal detector. So school started at 7.30 you needed to get there at like seven, seven or earlier just to be able to like get in that line and go through that metal detector. These schools have guards. They have, a lot of schools have even police officers. A lot of right. schools like these little like prison looking 
rails bars on the window like there are already bars on the window you're barred in you you can't do anything on your free will it's like make schools look like schools make it be welcoming to kids um allow kids to be their authentic selves and like kind of give black and brown kids the benefit of the doubt the same way that we do to their white counterparts yeah i think that would make a world of a difference it would say that because the same um architects that that structure schools are the same architects that structure prisons structure prisons it's crazy crazy. so it's kind of like they're doing it now they're doing it as their as their children to kind of like normalize the situation so that so that when kids go into schools and when they go into jail it's like oh this ain't no big deal this is i've been doing this it's i've already been here like i remember even coming out of my i think we used to have conversations about this previously before even the podcast and i remember thinking to myself like even like lining up the act of lining up it's conditioning you have to be in the line this way you have to do that this way you have to, it's not authentic. like humans do not function like that where do we walk in line on the street when we where we walk in lines or we walk wherever we want to go like what are they doing how they line up when they line up it's like you have to tell them they can never be just humans you know and we contribute you know unknowingly to that same system it's only when you start to sit back and you start thinking and realize, oh, I don't think this is okay. And you start catching yourself. And I think that's where this whole even podcast started to come about. Because yeah. we started looking at things in a different way. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's, 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 it's kind of like also like letting kids be who they are. Like, so, for example, like my son's school, um, and Tish, your daughter goes to the same school, so you know it's like they have they have shows all the time. Like their principal will tell you, like we have our kids sing songs. Like, and when you think about like even like black culture, it's kind of all about expression. And I feel like in a lot of these schools, we kind of like stifle kids' expression. We don't allow kids to be they are and everything that a child does is seen as disrespectful even when it's not like that kid is literally just trying to express who they are and how they feel and that kid is just trying to display a talent and just because it it may not be the appropriate time for you you're gonna stifle it and then that's the end of it for the the week the year whatever and there's no like there's no self-expression that comes from school and a lot of schools today, especially in like New York City, it's just let's get them to like do ELA, Apply. ELA and math, ELA and math, ELA and math. But that's where's not- art? Where's where's art? Where's music? Where's the music programs? Where's the good gym programs? Kids like sports. They like to move. We don't have anything. Nope. Or kids are being conditioned like Pavlov's dog to do what we want them to do. And a lot of teachers and a lot of admin think that compliance means that they're, they're, they're just complying because they have to, because if they don't, they know what is gonna come next. Compliance does not mean anything. 
Not because I walk into a classroom and kids are sitting there all quiet. That doesn't mean they're absorbing anything. That doesn't mean they're learning. That doesn't mean they're comfortable. That doesn't mean they're happy. It means nothing. And until we start to dig deeper into that, like, are they complying to comply because they're afraid? Mm. Or are they complying? Because it could be two things because they genuinely respect you. They, they want to hear what you have to say. Like, what is the, where's the compliance coming from? And schools have to get away from this idea that, like, intelligence is only in how well you can read and how well you can do math. Yeah. Like, intelligence is also, like, like, for example, my husband can, like, go on YouTube and learn how to build, like, a freaking house. Like, <laughs> he's doing that right now as we speak. Like, that to me is, is, is a form of intelligence that I don't have, right? Right. So, it's not just like, okay, you can read well, you can do math well, because at the end of the day, I don't really think that that stands for much. It's like, are you able to like think critically? Like yes. you can say well, like that's a form of intelligence to me. Yeah. You can like, draw that. You can draw, you can make stuff. That's you know? intelligent. Intelligence has so many different forms and we need, we need to get away from the idea that it's only the kids that can read and write really well that are intelligent yeah but even how traditional schools are set up are set up to stifle us like i've had conversations about this and i remember i was a very artistic kid very artistic love using my hands making stuff doing all kinds of things but we are also taught right in our colored out households oh you have to be educated this way or you're not going to be anything right but in other places where they allow kids to authentically be themselves, like in other places where they have a workshop and they learn how to fix cars when they're in high school, they learn how to drive, they learn how to landscape, they learn how to create businesses. Those people are the ones who come out if they want to go to college, it's a choice, right? Because they're already starting up businesses straight out of high school. Whereas we are also packing on student loans and all kinds of different things. I didn't know I could make a business out of using my hands the way I used to like using my hands. That was never taught. Yeah. That was stifled. It's like, no, you can't do this. You need to focus on your book. You need to go and pick up the book and read, right? So we just have to think about structuring schools in a way that students can be themselves, expression, like Sam said, Art and music is essential and vital to everybody's life. Yeah. Right now, if you're in your house and you're feeling down, music is the way to go. Why is it not being, you know, yeah. mainstream like math, science, ELA? It's necessary. It's yeah. a form of therapy even. Right. And I don't want teachers to think, oh, well, you know, this is a big situation, big issue, and I, there's nothing I can do. Listen, if you're in that classroom with those kids, this is what you can do. Whatever you're teaching, you need to embed forms of expression, uh, games, activities for these kids. So discipline won't even be a problem. Like it, it, it won't even be a factor because if they're engaged in a way that works for them, not just engaged in what you think, but some ask them, what kind of music do you like? What do you, what things do you like to do for fun? Talk to them, talk to them. Exactly. They will tell you, they are ready. What do you want to listen? Yes. What's your favorite snack? Like, I could bring that in one day. That's a formula. Let's eat together. Let's break bread. Right. Right? 
it's so many things that you could do. So going back to Trina's point where she said, what now? Like I said, what now? And Trina said, what do we could do? So advocacy, Sam talked about doing some other things like making sure your kids, you know, expression. And there's multiple things like Katrina said to, um, Trina, I'm sorry, I just blinked out, but <laughs> you can repeat yourself. Uh, definitely. And also, if, if students are listening, guys, you have a voice. You have a voice and you can go to your administration, well, go to your principals and you can talk to them about things that you like and that you are not okay with of what's going on in school. This is your school. This is your education. You get one opportunity at it. Use your voice and speak up. And if you're not comfortable, have somebody go with you or talk to a, a teacher or an adult that you're comfortable with so they can go with you so they can help you with it. Agree. Definitely. There are other things that you could do as well, students. Like you said, advocacy is a very big thing. Like I said in the beginning, parents need to advocate for their kids, but you are your first advocate. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult, but you have to think, who is it affecting more? Because when mommy's not at school, if that behavior or whatever it is, the mistreatment continues to happen, you're the one who has to deal with it, right? So you have to think, what can I do to better this situation? I have to speak up for myself, right? If this teacher is doing something that you do not like and you feel like it is offensive to you, then your first step is to have a conversation with that teacher. You can do it formally, informally, write it in an email, right? Have a conversation after class. There's multiple things that you can do. And I think that that's one of the major factors, right? A lot of our kids don't know how to advocate for themselves because they think they can't. The moment I open my mouth and I start to speak, I'm disrespectful, right? Because this also happens at home, right? The moment I start to express myself, I'm disrespectful. So how dare I go to school and tell my teacher, you know, when you say this, I'm offended. They don't know how. So teachers need to give them opportunities to do that. So. Right. They're with them all the time. But listen, this topic can go on for hours, and this is definitely not the last time that we're going to be discussing this. Um, but we are out of time. We want to make sure that you guys can walk away with, with something and actually reflect on it and think about it. So we're not going to, you know, hold you any longer. We will see you guys soon. Thank you for tuning in. And look out for our next episode of Adulting While Black. See you guys later. Bye, Bye guys. Bye.